Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. When you talk about coaches of the early Super Bowl era, George Allen has to come to mind. Author Mike Richmond has written a book recently on George Allen titled George Allen, A Football Life. Mike joins us in just a moment to tell us all about the life of this great and interesting coach. Coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to talk about a great legend of the game of football. And this is coming from the professional level, pretty much. And we have our friend Mike Richmond here. He has a book on George Allen called George Allen, A Football Life. Mike, welcome back to the Pigpen. Great to be here, Darren. Yeah, Mike, uh, George Allen, a, a very interesting figure indeed. Uh, you know, back in the what the '60s and the '70s was his era, and just just an interesting guy all around. Uh, maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about uh, George's background before he got to what we know him as, uh, as you know, with the Los Angeles Rams and the Washington Redskins. Maybe how he got uh, up through the ranks of professional football. Sure. Well, I could start with with his uh, college coaching. Uh, his very very first coaching job was at uh, the University of Michigan. He was a graduate student at Michigan, has both both his bachelor's and, and graduate degrees from Michigan. And he got a job as an assistant coach on the 150-pound midget team, which started for the first time in 1948. It was a four-team league in the Midwest, um, Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Indiana, I believe. Those were the four schools. And uh, so he was an assistant coach for that one season, 19, um, I'm sorry, uh, 1947, was he was an assistant coach on that team. And then in 1948, the following year, he got his first true head coaching job at Morningside College in Iowa. That's how he broke into the, uh, into the head coaching ranks. He coached in college uh, through 1956. He was three years at uh, Morningside, and then he coached for six years at Whittier in the Los Angeles area. And uh, he had a plus 500 record over that nine-year period, but uh, he left after the 1956 season. Um, Some of the players were kind of disenchanted with him, his conservative-style offense they didn't really appreciate. Um, Also, the school administration didn't really appreciate some of the approaches that he took with his coaching, his recruiting, his uh, scholarships that he was handing out. It was too much. he He was spending too much money, they thought. So, Basically, as I wrote in the book, he was forced to resign after the 56 season. Uh, 57, 
He was an assistant coach for the Los Angeles Rams, interestingly, as an offensive ends coach. Uh, Sid Gilman was the head coach at the time. And I wondered why they hired him as an offensive ends coach, because he was a defensive-oriented coach. And um, I, I believe it was, and actually I, I got to interview his daughter about this, and it's because he could focus, he, he knew the tendencies of the opposing defense. So that's why they hired him as the offensive ends coach. But again, he was uh, basically forced out after the 57 season. He was out of coaching for almost the entire 58 season, but the uh, bears brought him in as a spy toward the end of the season. They had two games against the Los Angeles Rams toward the end of the season. So George Hallis brought him in as a spy and, um, then Hallis became to to admire him. The head talent scout for the Bears at the time passed away. So Hallis hired him as the Bears head talent scout in 1959. That's um, how he, he got uh, in with the Bears. He was with the Bears through the 65 season. It was a very um, uh, memorable period because he was he, he drafted, he was leading the draft at the time. He drafted uh, three future Hall of Fame players, Mike Ditka, in 1961, uh, the 1965 draft is, uh, has to go down as one of the greatest drafts in NFL history. He drafted Butkus with the number three pick in the first round. Sayers, the very fo the following pick, number four. In that top ten of picks, he drafted Steve DeLong with number eight, an offensive tackle. DeLong didn't play for the Bears. He went to play for the San Diego, San Diego Chargers in the AFL. and He was a single one-time Pro Bowler with the Chargers. And in the fourth round, the Bears drafted a running back named Jim Nance, who went to play for the Boston Patriots in the AFL. He was a two-time Pro Bowler and a two-time All-Pro in the AFL. If DeLong and Nance actually had come to play for the Bears, I mean, that would have made that draft like you would have had to put it up against the 74 Steelers draft. Um, you could probably still put it up there with Butkus and Sayers and, and so forth. But um uh, yes, yeah. So he was the head talent scout for that whole period. He was elevated to the head uh, defensive coach in 1960. Well, in 1962, he replaced Clark Shaughnessy toward the end of the season. Shaughnessy uh, was on the outs with Hallis um, as the defensive coach, and Shaughnessy held a few other roles. And uh, so uh, Allen took over as the head defensive coach at that time. Uh, and then starting uh, heading into the 1963 season, he was elevated to the head defensive coach for the Bears. And that season, the Bears won the NFL championship. They won it um, with a, one of the most ferocious defenses in NFL history. And uh, Allen was the key architect of that of that win. I mean, they um, they yielded only like 144 points uh, through the regular season and so Allen was carried off the field after the game, by the way. Hallis was not carried off the field. Allen was also – they were both given game balls, but in the uh, post-game locker room, they also chanted uh, in, in the uh, – and this had come, been initiated several years prior by, by another Bears player. Uh, Hooray for George, he's a horse's ass. But that, that song <laughs> – uh, <laughs> no, it was also, the Redskins also sang it in later years when Allen became the, the coach there. But um, I want to read you a quote by Ed Obradovich, who was a great uh, Bears defensive tackle at the time, in terms of uh, how he credited George Allen with that championship win. Uh, and Obradovich has no doubt who engineered the uh, the victory in, in that championship game. It was a 14-10 win over the Giants. 
Obradovich says, quote, in my mind, everything goes to George Allen. We scored two touchdowns, both on quarterback sneaks. Our offense didn't move that well. That defense proved without a doubt that you can win a world championship with defense. So Allen was the key architect of that win. And not only in the mind of uh, Obradovich, but many of the other Bears players thought the same thing. But uh, Hallis never, Hallis refused to promote him to head coach. Hallis, you know, he had been around for so many years. As you know, he was, you know, part of the initial meeting in Canton that formed the NFL in 1920. So he had been there for so many years. He refused to step down after the 1963 season. A few years went by, uh, 1965, uh, Allen was getting antsy. He wanted that head coaching job. So he got the offer from the Los Angeles Rams. Dan Reeves, the Rams owner, offered him the job. Hallis still refused to set, step down. Instead, he took George Allen to court in Cook County Circuit Court uh, in the Chicago area. He sued him for breach of contract. He said that um, Allen had this proprietary information that he would be taking to the Rams and that Hallis didn't, he refused to let him go. So uh, the judge uh, eventually ruled for Hallis in the case. Hallis, though, said at that point, I've made, I've made my point. I won on principle. George Allen, you're free to go to any any team you want. So Allen uh, chose the Los Angeles Rams. But it, but oh. Hallis made himself like a, look like a petulant child in that that whole case. And uh, you know, having taken him to court, I mean, when an assistant coach, despite what's written in a contract, wants a job as a head coach with another team, you've got to let him go. I mean, but Hallis was just. I think he was jealous of George Allen, and uh, he may have had had it in his mind that he would promote him in future years, but he refused to do it at that point. But anyway, he let Allen go to become the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams starting in the 1966 season. Hmm. Wow, that's a, a lot. I didn't realize he had that much involvement with with the Bears. I knew he was there, but I didn't realize uh, you know he was orchestrated. You know that, that great defense and you know helped with those great draft picks. You know that, and I always find it interesting. You know that that Gale Sayers and Dick Buckus draft. That I think doesn't it the the saying that the the two of them on the same team, the Bears never won a playoff game or never made a playoff game. They those, those never on a team. made. A- that's correct. They never played a made a playoff game with either one of those guys on the same team, and uh, both of them, their careers were were shortened considerably. You, you would think they w- could have played longer, but they had terrible injuries. Uh, so both of them, uh, they were pretty much in their prime when they retired. But uh, they were also both first ballot Hall of Fame inductees, and being drafted with back to back picks in the first round in 1965 and then they were first ballot hall of famers. And so just that in itself makes that, that draft so amazing. But then you add DeLong and, and Nance, those two other guys that I mentioned in that draft, you add those, those two in. And then another signing that uh, George Allen orchestrated uh, that year was a free agent signing a guy named Brian Piccolo, the leading rusher in the country out of Wake Forest. And Piccolo, um, uh, sort of what he was portrayed as in the movie, he had a couple good seasons with the Bears. In fact, 1968 was his best season rushing. I think he rushed for more than 400 yards that year. And uh, he was tapped heading into the 1969 season at, to be the starter in the backfield with Sayers. I remember in the movie, Sayers and Piccolo, they exchanged high fives. And, you know, I say, hey, right. you know, we're going to start in the backfield together. But 
it was that year that um, Piccolo took himself out of a game because he wasn't feeling right. And, you know, so I guess the, the cancer was starting to spread at that point. Hmm. Yeah. I had the, uh, when I was in high school in the eighties, I read the book, I am third, you know, which the, the P- Brian Piccolo movie was adapted from Gail Sayers book. I am third. And probably, probably within a month or two after me reading it. And I had no idea it was going to happen. I was working at a, a restaurant here where I live in Erie as a, as a bus boy. And lo and behold, I go to the table to clean it up. And I look up and I see a familiar face. Gail Sayers is sitting there with some dignitaries in, in Erie, Pennsylvania, of all places. He had come in for a sports banquet, which I didn't wasn't aware that he was coming in. I got to have a conversation about it. I told him, I said, hey, I, I just got done reading your book. I did a, a book report on it. And it, he was the kindest man. He sat down, you know, some busboy at a restaurant in a strange town. He sat with me for five minutes and had a conversation and gave me some, you know, worldly advice as you'd expect from an older Gail Sayers. And uh, right. it's one of great, uh, great guys. So I'm a, I'm a big Gail Sayers fan just from, for the person he is. I never got to watch him play, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, other than film, but yeah, he uh, tremendous. I can tremendous, imagine uh, you, you got his yeah. autograph, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, Butkus, yeah. Butkus as a kid for me, Butkus was my the player that I really, really looked up to. I, I saw I saw myself in him. I, I didn't play anything past high school football, but um, I just his ferociousness and uh, you know that other players were so scared of him and and just you know his stature on the field. I just loved him, and I I wrote to the Bears. I remember this must have been like the early seventies. He sent me a baseball card. Hmm, nice. Signed it. Signed it, Dick Butkus. They're just two great iconic figures of NFL history that, you know, from, you know, 60 some years ago in the draft and playing, and we're still talking about, they're still relevant to even the modern fan. That, that tells you in shortened careers, that just tells you how legendary they were just to emphasize how good that draft was for the Bears. So, yeah, right. it's pretty amazing that George Allen was able to to see the talent in those two and uh, help get those on the Bears. Get those two players. I'll, yeah, sure. I'll tell you one other uh, Butkus story. So in 1974, Allen wanted to get him for the Redskins. Uh, Butkus had uh, his his contract expired with the, with the Bears, or I think they uh, they either released him or he walked after the '73 season. Uh, but it, so Allen tried to acquire him for the Redskins, but his knees were in such bad shape that he could never. He couldn't play football after that. 73 was his last year in the NFL. I, he went to see the, uh, a doctor uh, in the Midwest, I think, in Oklahoma, who said, hey, you know, if you want to have your knees fused, then maybe you'll be able to get on the field. But uh, he he could not play football anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and Sayers had to step down. He was pretty much in, in his prime as well. But, uh, you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen tapes of him and how elusive he, and fast he was. And, oh, yeah. So. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, YouTube's an amazing thing. So it's uh, great. Yes. good to go see anything you have film on anybody. You, know, you can go back and watch them. So that's that's awesome. Okay, so so George Allen takes over the, the reins of of the Rams uh, program. So tell us a little bit about what he did to the Rams, what he instilled in in their program. Sure. Well, when he came in 1966, uh, the Rams in previous years, like over the past, I'd say eight seasons, uh, they were about bad to mediocre. I mean, they were really a struggling team. And uh, so they needed a lot of rebuilding when he came. And he, what he did is he 
those practices were much longer than the previous coaches. Uh, they had also this kind of um, partying image as a team, you know, being in Los Angeles, uh, lots of stuff to do. They loved the nightlife there and uh, they, they, they ran the streets really well. So he, George Allen got rid of all that. I mean, he was a disciplinarian, uh, long practices in the Southern California heat. Uh, so he instilled that, that hard work ethic in them. And uh, they started winning right away. They had an eight, six, eight and six season in 1966. Um, 1967, in my opinion, was his best season as an NFL coach. They finished 11, two and one in the regular season. They lost to the Packers in the first round of the playoffs that year. And the following week after that was, was the ice ball. But, um, and also those were the years when the teams rotated as host cities. So even though the Packers finished nine, four and one that year in their division and the Rams 11, two and one, the Rams had to go to green Bay and play. Now I'm not saying that the Rams had gone to green Bay to play them. They would have won that game. I mean, they were coming off two emotionally draining games at the end of that 67 season. They beat the Packers in the final seconds in the Los Angeles Coliseum. Uh, a, a player named Tony Guillory blocked a punt with about a minute left in that game. And it, uh, the Rams recovered and ran down to the five yard line. And then Roman Gabriel threw a touchdown pass to a receiver named Bernie Casey, later the actor. And um, so the Rams won that game. Allen was carried off the field after that one. The following week, they demolished the Baltimore Colts. And uh, Unitas was sacked about seven times in that game. The Rams were so sky high. For, to play the Colts. That was in the LA Coliseum as well. They beat the Colts and that uh, got them into the playoffs. They won the coastal division. Interestingly, the Colts were also in that coastal division. But one thing I want to note about that Colts team, they also finished 11, two, I'm sorry, 11, one and two that year. The Rams were, were 11, one and two. The Colts also were 11, one and two that year. That Colts team didn't go to the playoffs. Can you, mm. you can't, you can't, that's unfathomable today. That just right. would not happen. We have losing teams going to the playoffs. You know, seven teams oh, per dude. conference. Uh, just back then, there was four total teams in the NFL that went to the postseason, and you know, one from each division. So the, that Colts team didn't go. So you can imagine how good they really were. And uh, but uh, that Rams team lost in the first round of the playoffs to the to the Packers, who were knocked out. The uh, following year was a 10-3-1 season. The Rams didn't go to the playoffs. After that season, which was 1968, after the season, Dan Reeves fired George Allen. He had a phenomenal record in those uh, first three years. Reeves fired him. Uh, Reeves didn't like, number one, his spending habits. His spending habits came into play again. He was spending a lot of money for the veteran players. He was on the phone a lot. Back in those days, you know, he was driving up uh, – uh, telephone costs and um, uh, the two just they they had like such differing personalities. Reeves was this partying guy. I mentioned the partying aspect of the Rams uh, mm -hmm. in years past. Reeves was leading the charge. He everyone knew he was an alcoholic, and um, uh, and there were coaches that that loved to drink as well. And so Reeves was leading that. George Allen was not. He he didn't drink alcoholic beverages. His favorite beverage was milk. <laughs> that's what he consumed um so he and reeves they didn't socialize and they they rarely 
spoke to each other. Reeves didn't like him. I thought it was another case of jealousy, too. Uh, Reeves fired him after the 68 season. Allen, though, staged a press conference at a ritzy Los Angeles hotel. And about 20 veteran Ram players showed up. Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, Ed Metter. Uh, let's see. I think Rosie Greer was there. Um, so at this press conference, these veteran Ram players said, and, you know, they had experienced, they had been a winner under under Allen in those first three seasons. They said, hey, you know, if, if, if Dan Reeves, if you don't rehire George Allen, we're quitting. So <laughs> several weeks later, Reeves rehired Allen. Now he said that it had nothing to do with what they what the player said at that point. But I think the, what the player said had, had a lot to do with it. I mean, I, you read I'll between bet. the lines. I mean, people was going to lose those veteran players. They weren't going to have much of a team. Right. If you, if you have the fierce and foursome on your side uh, coming in to speak on your behalf, people are going right. to listen to those, those guys. That's for I sure. think Lamar wow. Lundy was another one of those players. No, I don't, I don't think Greer was there. I think he had already retired, but uh, Lundy was there. Uh, and they were like a total of 20, veteran Rams and and yeah they they basically said we we're going to retire if you don't rehire George Allen so this was like it had to be an unprecedented situation in NFL history at the time so yeah so yeah Reeves rehired him after the 68 uh, season 69 and 70 which those were Allen's uh, last two years uh 69 they went 11 and 3 again they were knocked out in the first round of the playoffs uh, to the to a really good Vikings team that uh, later played in Super Bowl Four losing to the Chiefs, and then in 1970 they finished nine four and one, and we um, fired him for the second time. I want to say about that 69 team. So the Rams started 11 0, 11 and 0 that year, and they lost their last three regular season games, and then went into the playoffs and lost to the Vikings. They gave the Vikings a, a fight in that first round playoff game. They lost 23 to 20 in Minnesota, um, but um, one of one of the uh, knocks on George Allen over the years is that he he worked his players so hard during the regular season and he was such a great motivator getting them up for games and you know with his rah-rah personality that they were basically burned out toward the end of that 69 season and they lost their last three regular season games because I don't remember him sitting too many of his veteran players in that first loss which I think was to the Bears, if I'm correct, or to either the Bears or the Vikings. I don't remember him really sitting his players, you know, um, basically rolling over. I, I don't recall him doing that early in that losing streak, but they lost those last three games and then went into the playoffs uh, um, on, on that losing streak as with an 11-3 record. Uh, it's 1970, pretty much everyone knew that if Allen didn't make the Super Bowl that year, uh, that he was going to be fired and cer certainly uh, Reeves fired him after that season. Um, and that's when he was hired by the Redskins a few weeks later. So, so it was sort of, uh, it happened more than once where he had, you know, some great starts, you know, great out of the gate, but the, the team was just wore down by the end of the season sort of collapsed uh, at the end of the season in the playoffs. Is I'm, I'm yeah. gathering. Yes. Yeah, so pretty much. So, I mean, that 11, one and two team in, um, in 1967, they were just even even I quoted Merlin Olson in the book as saying that they were just emotionally drained by the time they got to the playoffs. And um, even Allen Allen uh, said that in a quote that I found from the past that there's no way that we would have beaten Green Bay in that playoff game. They actually took a 
a seven nothing lead in that game, but but Green Bay, um, Lombardi had kind of disguised his plans before the game. He said, uh, "We're not um, we're not going to be able to run the ball. You know, several of our running backs are, are out injured, but certainly they they rammed it down the Rams' throats in that playoff game. I mean, they they really ran the ball well. So, um, and then in that that sixty nine season, like I said, they started at eleven and zero, and they lost their last three games. So that was one of the knocks on on George Allen over the years that. Uh, he got his players so mo- motivated for most of the regular season, and then they just ran out of steam toward the end. Hmm. Yeah, that's just a, amazing. You, you would think in this day and age, you know, if a, a coach has you know tremendous records like that, even if he's not winning, you know, except for maybe somebody you know like uh, Marty Schottenheimer who sort of had a similar situation happen to him to Allen. But you know, you would never let that coach go if they they were winning year after year. You know, they're hard to find. Uh, and to get coaches that can keep teams like that. But, you know, I guess that was well, a, a different era, you know? Right. Well, um, I think in – I mean, if Allen were coaching today, I, I think the owners would keep him on. I, I think that it was more of a personality conflict, I mean, unless he didn't get along with the um, with, with the owners today. But I think it was – with Reeves, it was, it was very much a personality conflict. I mean, the two just didn't see eye to eye. One thing that really bothered Reeves is that – Reeves controlled the draft. Reeves was known as this expert on on scouting in the NFL. And actually, George Allen did uh, inherit a few really good players that Reeves and his scouting team had found before he arrived. Uh, Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, Roman Gabriel. Um, there were other players, Ed Metter. I mean, there were there was some pretty good talent on that Rams team when Allen arrived. But as you, you clearly know, I mean, you need a, a coach to – that get that chemistry together and get you know and organize everything and you know how you know nail down the right X's and O's that a team must be following. It just you you need the right coach to be leading at that point. They just didn't have the right coaches beforehand. So um uh but yeah uh he and uh, Reeves just had this personality conflict. So Reeves controlled the draft. Allen had control of the active player roster. So one thing that bothered Reeves is that he really liked a quarterback named uh, Bill Munson. He was the backup to Roman Gabriel, Bill Munson. But Allen, Allen got rid of him. Okay, Al- Allen, uh, Allen traded him. But Reeves really liked him. But Allen traded him. Allen also uh, traded the Heisman Trophy winner out of UCLA, Gary Beban. Allen didn't think Beban was going to be much of anything. I mean, I, he Allen knew he was pretty much. He was a hybrid quarterback at UCLA. He ran the ball a lot. So mm-hmm. Allen didn't think he was going to be much of an NFL quarterback. He traded him to the Redskins, and, and the Rams picked up some pretty good draft picks in that trade. Well, Reeves didn't like that trade at all. Okay? So that's, you know, one time where they, they really disagreed, and, and Reeves didn't appreciate that, that Allen had let Beban go. But Beban ha- didn't have much of a career in D.C. at all. I mean, he was with the Redskins for – for two seasons, uh, well, one maybe one, two, uh, two seasons, sixty-eight and sixty-nine, probably, and then um, and then he was cut by the Redskins, so he didn't have much of a career at all. So Allen was right about that. So, but it was it was very much a personality conflict between uh, Allen and, and Reeves. We'll be back with more from this interview in just a moment. Right after this, the memorable moments were many. Franco Harris's immaculate reception. Roger Staubach's Hail Mary. 
but the decade's greatest teams were defined by defense. Author Michael McCambridge. Joe Zagorski's podcast, Pro Football in the 1970s, pays homage to a time when defense ruled the gridiron. Soundtrack provided by Horst Hoffman of FilmMusic.io. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Hey, this is Del Reed, co-founder of Bill's Mafia and founder of 26Shirts.com, where behind every shirt there is a story, and you are listening to the Pigskin Dispatch. And now we return to our interview with our special guest. So so he, he's out in L.A., how how long is he out of a job before uh, some somebody becomes interested in his services? Just a few days. the The Redskins had actually been interested in him interested in him actually after the sixty eight season. Uh, Allen knew Jack Ken Cook. Cook owned the Los Angeles Lakers and Los Angeles Kings, and he was based in Los Angeles. So Allen knew him, and Cook uh, they became friends. Uh, Cook would invite him to his ranch in the. Uh, Sierra Nevada mountains. And um, Alan also came to know Edward Bennett Williams, who was uh, ran the daily operations of the Redskins. I should say that Cook was inching toward becoming the majority owner of the Redskins at the time. He held the, the largest percentage and he would soon become the majority owner. So he had a lot of power on the team. And uh, Williams also liked Alan. They had met at a uh, league meeting um, in Hawaii, I believe, after the 66 season. So Williams came to to really admire him. He loved his work ethic and everything. So uh, both uh, pretty much Cook went hard after George Allen after the 68 season. But Allen wanted to fulfill his five-year contract with the Rams. He said, uh, you know, Jack, I, I know I'm probably going to get fired after the 1970 season, but I, I want to fulfill my contract. So he stayed with LA through the five-year period of his contract. And then Cook and Williams brought him to Washington, just a few days after uh, Reeves fired him for the second time. It was like uh, Reeves fired him right after the uh, 1970 season. And the first week in January, uh, Allen was hired as the Redskins coach. Okay. So now Allen would be, would have been Vince Lombardi's replacement, correct? Is that Lombardi? Or was somebody in between? There was somebody in between. Um, Allen, uh, I mean, Lombardi coached in, um, in 69. Okay. And then he passed away right before the 1970 season. Okay. So then there was an interim gotcha. coach for the Redskins in 1970. Okay. Right. So, he, then, so he was, uh, he would have been the first permanent assigned coach after, correct. after he was, Vince would have Lombardi. Been the first permanent coach okay. post Lombardi, but okay. Lombardi, Lombardi only coached one year, 69. So he has sort of adopted uh Beban who he traded then. Beban, no, Beban was not on the team anymore. Oh, okay. So Beban was gone too. Okay. Beban had been cut prior to the 1970 season. Yeah. All the right. rest was, they quickly got rid of him. He, he was history. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. no, Allen did not adopt him, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think Allen would have had much of him anyway. So, uh, but Allen did inherit some, some pretty good players with the Redskins too. Uh, mostly on offense. The Redskins had a very good offense in the 1960s led by Sonny Jurgensen who had, uh, his best passing years with the Redskins during that time from the mid to, to late sixties. Um, and he had some amazing receivers, uh, uh, Charlie Taylor, Bobby Mitchell, Jerry Smith, one year, 1967, Jorgensen led the league in passing. Taylor uh, was number one in receiving in total catches. Smith was number two. And then Mitchell was number four. And actually Jerry Smith was a wow. great 
receiving tight end. Yeah. So that was okay. They had the number one, two, and four top one, receivers in the NFL in, in one total, season. Yes, one, wow. two, and four in catches in the Jeez. NFL in <laughs> the same season. Uh he had a like a, a smorgasbord of, of receivers to throw to. They were they were a very exciting team, and it was a major reason that RFK Stadium started selling out in 1966. They were wow. a very entertaining offensive team, but they had they had no defense. I mean, the defense was was basically mediocre. I mean, you, you could step all over that defense. They were relinquishing so many points. So, um, but Allen inherited all those except for Mitchell. Mitchell retired uh, before the '69 season, but Allen inherited uh, Jurgensen. Taylor, Jerry Smith. On defense, he had uh, Chris Hamburger, who is in the Hall of Fame today. Brig Owens, who uh, is very high on the list of uh, career interception leaders today for the Redskins with 36. Very good defensive back. Bill Brundage, a really good defensive lineman. Larry Brown, Pittsburgh native, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a 1,000-yard rusher in 1970. Allen inherited him. Uh, so, But again, it was a situation where the head coach had to find a way to make all of that that talent work, get get oh, that yeah. chemistry flowing on the team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're they're the spoon that stirs a drink there, aren't they? So, would you consider Allen a, a player's coach? I know he's he's sort of runs the hard line, but sometimes those can be somewhat of a player's coach. You know, so I'm, I'm just trying to get a feel for you know insider information. You know, what what was he like as a as a head man on the sideline? I would consider him a player's coach uh, in the sense that there were many players that liked him and appreciated his practices. Like the players that really liked him were the players that he saved from other teams. He traded for a lot of veteran players and they were pretty, they could have been on the outs with their previous teams. Like Roy Jefferson was on the outs with Carol Rosenblum, the owner of the Baltimore Colts even mm-hmm. though they had won a Super Bowl in 1970, Super Bowl five, Allen traded for him. Uh, Ron McDowell was on the outs with the Buffalo Bills. Um, Allen traded for him. Billy Kilmer, Allen uh, resuscitated his career. Kilmer was basically a uh, you know mid-range quarterback for the Saints. He was he was pretty good, but uh, you know he was nowhere near elite. Allen rescued his career, brought him to Washington. Allen saw something in him. They. Uh, Rams played the Saints uh, a few times when when Allen was in L.A. and uh, he really liked Kilmer. So um, he resuscitated the careers of a lot of players and even a lot of the veteran players that were here, Pat Fisher being one. Pitt Fisher really liked George Allen. I mean, Brig Owens liked him. Uh, Owens was considered one of Allen's uh, lieutenants on the field. Uh, Fisher as well, Chris Hamburger, they really liked him. So then there were other players that uh, – they didn't so much like George Allen. They thought that, uh, you know, he would uh, – he was a little sleazy in the way he handled personnel matters. Uh, he didn't always tell people exactly the moves he was going to make. Uh, so, um, yeah, not every player loved him. But uh, I would say a lot of the players that he – where he resuscitated their careers, they they would sing his praises all day. Hmm, yeah, well, I guess if you go back and think about it, the L.A. Rams, if they had 20 people showing up at his, uh, you know, departure or what he thought was his uh, final swan song there in L.A. as a press conference and they came in support, uh, they had to like him. So huh, very interesting. 
Okay, so so how did his Washington teams fare? You know, he he's bringing he has this talent he inherited. He's bringing these this veteran presence and talent in. So so how is he doing as a Redskins head coach? So 1971, his first season in Washington, the Redskins finished nine four and one. They went to the postseason for the first time since 1945, first time in a quarter century. They wow. went to the playoffs. It was only their fourth. Let's see. They had uh, four, I'm sorry, they had four previous winning seasons prior to Allen's arrival in 1971. Hmm. Uh, so 1971, 9-4-1. They lost again in the first round of the playoffs to the San Francisco 49ers. They played in um, in San Francisco the year. The Redskins were actually up in that game. They were leading at halftime 10-3, but then they wilted in the second half. And that actually is the game of Nixon's play call. Allen and uh, Richard Nixon had a friendship. They they originally met when Allen was the college coach at Whittier in the early 50s. They met at an NCAA banquet. Uh, Nixon's alma mater was, was Whittier. So that's when they first met. So when they intersected in the nation's capital in 1971, Nixon was in his third year in the White House and Allen, uh, first year coach of the Redskins. And, um, and actually that season, Allen, uh, Nixon came out to Redskins Park, the Redskins training facility, and he gave the Redskins a pep talk. He wanted to come out. The Redskins were were struggling a little bit that year. They, in their previous three games, they had um, uh, a tie and two losses. So he came out to Redskins Park. He gave them a, a pep talk, and then by the time they played the 49ers in the first round of the of the playoffs that year, uh, the Redskins used a play that Nixon had suggested he would like to see them running. It was an end around play to Roy Jefferson. He unfortunately got caught for a 10-yard loss on that play, knocked the Redskins back. They missed the field goal attempt, and they went into halftime ahead 10-3. They could have been up 17-3 or at the least 13-3, but they went up 10-3. They were demoralized. They lost. Uh, they, they relinquished the lead in the second half and lost that game. The following year, 1972, Allen took the Redskins to their first Super Bowl, Super Bowl seven. They lost in that game to the uh, Miami Dolphins, who finished that season undefeated at 17-0. They lost uh, 14-7 in that game. Uh, the two playoff games that were in the Redskins were in uh, prior to the Super Bowl, uh, they beat uh, the Green Bay Packers in the first round, and they beat the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC Championship game. Uh, I was at both games, both of those games at RFK Stadium, the win over the Cowboys, 26-3 in the NFC Championship game that year, just a total demolition job by the Redskins. I mean, that was Allen's crowning moment as head coach in the NFL. Uh, the fact that he didn't win the Super Bowl the next week and then never got past the first round of the playoffs again, that NFC Championship game was his crowning moment. He not only won the NFC Championship and punched his ticket to Super Bowl seven, but he beat the Cowboys it was the stakes were really high. I mean, Allen, Allen despised the Cowboys. I mean, he he intensified the Redskins Cowboys rivalry. They had a little bit of a rivalry in the '60s when Sonny Jurgensen was the Redskins quarterback, Don Meredith was the Cowboys quarterback. They played some really high scoring games, very exciting. But the rivalry escalated to a new level when Allen came to coach here in 1971. He just he didn't like like the Cowboys because uh, he didn't like Tech Schramm who had a friendly relationship with Dan Reeves. Tex Schramm was the was one of the Cowboys executives and then mm -hmm. Reeves NFL commissioner. The two had previously 
spent time together on the staff of the Los Angeles Rams in the uh, 1950s. Um, also, uh, Dan Reeves was friends with um, with Roselle. So Reeves previously the the Rams owner. So uh, I'm sure um, Reeves didn't you know didn't say the most flattering things to Roselle about. Well, uh, Roselle was an was a Los Angeles guy, right? What, didn't he come from come out of Los I Angeles? I believe he came from San Francisco. Oh, okay, okay. I believe, yeah, I believe he was from San Francisco, but uh, he was the uh, public relations director for the Rams for part of the 1950s. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Right, right. That's how he he became aligned with that organization. And he came to know Tex Schramm. So Alan thought there was some conspiracy on the part of the Cowboys and and, uh, NFL commissioner Pete Rozelle in terms of the decision-making and it, Sure enough, the first three regular season games in 1971 were NFC East games on the road for the Redskins. Now, that would be unfathomable today. I don't think that would ever happen. But their schedule, the way the scheduling was set up, the Redskins played their first three games against NFC East opponents on the road. They won all three games. They beat the Cardinals, Giants, and Cowboys in Dallas. They won their first five games that season. And like I said, they finished nine, four, and one. So, um, but, hmm. but, and also when they beat the Cowboys, uh, when the plane got back from Dallas and landed at Dallas Airport, there were about 10,000 fans that stormed Dallas Airport to greet the Redskins players coming back and to congratulate uh, Allen and, and the players. I mean, they were longing for a winner. This town, it had been 1945 since the Redskins had gone to a, NFL championship game and uh, 42 since they had won one. So uh, nothing had happened in this town in terms of a winner. The Senators baseball team, they were nothing. They actually moved out. They moved to Arlington, Texas at the beginning of that 71 season. So there was no baseball team, no major league baseball team in the, in Washington. There was no NBA team. The Washington bullets hadn't moved here yet, or the Baltimore bullets, I should say they hadn't moved here yet. And there was no uh, hockey team. The, Washington Capitals didn't start here till 1974. The Redskins were the only game in town, and Allen really hmm. seized that opportunity. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. So, so what was sort of uh, you know, how, how did his uh, career end with Washington? How 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 what happened there with uh, him leaving the Redskins? So after the '72 season, he went to the playoffs three more times, uh, losing in the first round each time: '73, '74, and '76. And um, by the before the 1977 season in the offseason, Edward Bennett Williams offered him a contract, a contract extension, but he never signed it. Um, and this just dragged on through the 77 season. It was a four year extension. It just dragged on. And uh, by the end of the 77 season, Allen still didn't sign that extension. Uh, at the same time, the Rams, Los Angeles Rams job opened up. Chuck Knox, the Rams mm-hmm. coach, he left that Rams job and he went to Buffalo to become the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. So that job was open. Allen, as I write in the book, it may, you know, really strong theory is that he wanted to return to, to Los Angeles. He and his wife wanted to go back to LA. They still had their home in Palos Verdes Estates, which was a... Uh, that's a Los Angeles suburb. They still had their home there. So they wanted to go back there. So Allen never signed the extension and Williams just let him walk at, at a certain point. He, he said, uh, uh, George Allen has, uh, 
I've given George Allen unlimited patience and he has exceeded it. It was actually a play on words to what Williams said uh, in 1971, Allen, Allen built Redskins Park for $500,000. Williams said at the time, I gave him an unlimited budget and he exceeded it. So that was another thing. The money part, Williams didn't appreciate a lot of the things that that Allen was doing, a lot of the decision-making on on his part. Allen had full control. He had control of the draft. He had control of the active player roster. Uh, He had control of all the money spending. Williams didn't appreciate it, and they were also at each other's throats. But Williams still offered him that contract extension heading into the 77 season, which Allen never signed. Hmm, Interesting. So – if we look back at you know George Allen, you know his, his professional coaching career. What's his legacy as as a coach in the NFL? Well, record wise, um, I mean, he never had a losing seasons in twelve years of coaching in the NFL, and uh, fourteen seasons overall. He coached for two years in the NFL. He's the only coach in NFL history to not suffer a losing season in more than ten years of coaching. Uh, today, he's number three all-time in regular season winning percentage for coaches with at least 100 career victories, uh, 721 winning percent percentage. That's phenomenal. I mean, he's mm, third. Yeah. Um, John Madden is number one and Lombardi's number two. Um, so in 21 years in pro football overall, he was only uh, associated with two losing teams, the 1960 and 1964 Bears. Uh, aside from that, I mean, he was a, an amazing, tremendous innovator, um, he was a, a pioneer on special teams and defense. On defense, he introduced uh, schemes like the the nickelback, the five defensive backs, mm-hmm. and the dime defense, six defensive backs. Um, those are very innovative for their time. Uh, he had these really creative blitz packages. On special teams, he hired one of the first true special teams coaches. He hired Dick Vermeil as the Rams special teams coach in 1969, the Eagles hired Marv Levy the same year to coach their special teams in, in 69. So he hired one of the first special teams coaches, but he put emphasis on special teams that no other coach, no other head coach had ever done. I mentioned that block punt in the Packers Mm -hmm. game. There were other uh, really uh, pivotal plays that he, that his teams made in plays on special teams that decided the games, he would count on his special teams for one or two wins per season. So he Hmm. was really, really an innovator uh, in the area of special teams. One year, 1976, he asked a a former Redskins player named Bill Malinchek, who was a master punt blocker uh, from like 1971 through 74. Malinchek, blocked like four punts, but he, he was, uh, he retired after that 74 season. So in 19, by 1976, Malinchek was a commodities broker on wall street. So Alan asked him to come back toward the end of the 76 season. He said, Bill, you know, I have one, you only have to make one great play on special teams. I know, I, I know you can do it. So Malinchek left his job on Wall Street. He came back to play for the Redskins in the last three regular season games that year. I mean, he was obviously making a lot of money on Wall Street, making much less when he came back to play for the Redskins. So I asked him, why would you why would you do that? He said, I would do anything for George Allen. I'll come back. If George called me, I'd be there. Sure enough, in the final regular season game that year, 1976, Malinchek blocked a punt. He blocked Danny hmm. White's punt. Danny White was the Cowboys punter and backup quarterback at the time. He blocked right. 
Danny White's punt in the season-ending regular season game against the Cowboys that year. The Redskins won that game and then lost in the first round of the playoffs that year. That that win qualified them for the playoffs. They lost in the first round of the playoffs that year. Uh, amazing story. Uh, you know, why don't we give listeners give them the name of the book and uh, places where they can purchase it? Sure. The name of the book is George Allen: A Football Life, and uh, anyone can get an author autographed copy by going to my website, Mike Richmond Journalist dot com forward slash books mike richmond journalist.com forward slash books and richmond is r-i-c-h-m-a-n uh my twitter handle is at msr underscore journalist but anyone can get an author autograph copy by going to my website the book is also available uh through amazon and also uh, through uh, nebraska press which is my publisher Okay. And folks, if you're driving or don't have a pen and pencil, we'll put that link in the show notes of the podcast. You can get hooked right into to Mike's uh, website and uh, you know, take him up on that offer, getting the autograph book. That's always a, a great thing to have the author sign the, the book too. That's uh, very personalized. So that's a great thing you're doing. So you, let's uh, we're, you know, we have a little, few minutes here. Uh, what, what's uh, you have any final thoughts on, uh, you know, on George Allen? Sure. Well, I, I, Failed to mention, and I have to, you asked me about his legacy. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2002, and uh, he's certainly deserving of it. I mean, I've gotten the question, you know, why not Marty Schottenheimer today? Wasn't Schottenheimer sort of like the George Allen of yesteryear? I mean, Schottenheimer had an amazing regular season record, and he made many more playoff games than George Allen did. But he's not in the Hall of Fame. I think Marty Schottenheimer should eventually get in the Hall of Fame. But I think what pushed George Allen over the hill and into the into Canton was his his innovations. Now it was it wasn't only his record, but his innovations, like I was explaining on defense and special teams, that really mm-hmm. put him a yeah, step the- above many other coaches of his time. Also, for that era when he coached, he was one of the elite coaches at at the time. I mean, he was. He was with Lombardi and Shula. He was on par with them as one of the elite coaches in that era. So he was uh, uh-huh. he's he was known as one of the best at that time. Yeah, if you think about it, he I mean he the diamond and nickel are probably, you know, what 40, 50 percent of defensive packages in today's modern game. You know, it's they're quite common, especially with the way the offenses are or, you know, throwing their personnel out on the field. So that, that is a major innovation. So he, you know, is that the comparison is between him and Schottenheimer because they're uh, winning coaches that w- weren't championship winning coaches? Basically, yeah. It's like what, why George Allen and not Marty Schottenheimer? I've gotten that question. I think it's a legitimate question. I think Schottenheimer was a, he was a phenomenal coach. And, um, uh, I like I said, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I hope he is inducted someday. Um, I think what what separates Allen from Schottenheimer is the innovations, uh, the things that he introduced to the game, and like you said, those uh, nickel and dime packages, and even special teams themselves are so integral to the game of football today. I mean, Bill Belichick, he wasn't a, a disciple of George Allen, but he adopted a lot of Allen's uh, special teams ploys. In fact, he read one of he read Allen's book on special teams. And in fact, I, I toward the end of the book, I mentioned that that Belichick, um, he he 
learned a lot from George Allen in terms of special teams. So um, that area of the game, which is, is so key, and we see it today, it decides so many games, you know, returns and block kicks and, and whatever. Uh, George Allen was really the first coach that put – he put the most emphasis – on that facet of football. And I think it really shows today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, you know, it sounds it's like an excellent book. I uh, hope people are going to take you up on your offer and uh, you'll get that signed copy. Uh, if not, you know, they have the other avenues that they can get it also. And uh, you know, enjoy this great story of this uh, coach from yesteryear that had so much success and is still influential in today's game. And that's always a good thing too. So like, thanks for writing the book and telling us the story of George Allen and coming on today and uh, sharing it with us, with the listeners. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Darren. I, I just want to say that, um, you know, it's, it's our job to uphold the history of the game. And uh, uh, so I'm very happy to do it. And I, I thought that it was my responsibility having grown up with the George Allen Redskins to, to really relive his, his full life and, and, and focus on his coaching so much. So I was very, very happy to take on the project. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.